Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. You can have a seat. I remember being in a junior in high school, and I showed up at my dad's office, and I had a request of my dad. And I began my request this way. Dad, I know you're going to say no, but... You ever done that? Dad, I know you're going to say no, but. He went on and he said yes, and I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Now that I think back on it, he shouldn't have let me do it. But he did, and I was a happy boy. But then on my 15th birthday, I remember my dad doing something else. I remember my dad, for my birthday, he gave me a $20 bill. And he said, son, from now on, if you want it, you got to buy it. You want a car, you buy it. You want gas, you buy it. You want to go on a date, you buy it. It's on you. That did not make me excited. <laughs> My thought was, I mean, today, somebody called defects on you if you did that today. I mean, you know, you, you're going to make your kid work, you know. But I look back on it now at almost 54 years of age. You know what I'm grateful for? My dad taught me how to work. My dad taught me how to value things. My dad taught me a lesson. He, 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 on one hand, gave me what I wanted, and then on the other, he, he gave me what I needed. It was interesting how dad had a way of doing that. Have you ever noticed how busy we are? We are busy people, aren't we? I mean, we, we got stuff to do. We got checklists to check off. We got people to see. We got places to be. We, we are busy people. I mean, I, I've talked to many of you in the hallways today. You know what I've heard from many of you? How's your week been busy? How are you doing? Tired? And then others of you, how are you doing? Great. You got bags under your eyes. Your kids are driving you crazy. Great. You put on the church, my great. Yeah, my house is falling apart. It's on fire three times. I'm great. You know, I've discovered we, we're in front of more people, have greater needs, no more than any generation has come before us. And yet we struggle more. We have less wisdom and we have more certainty of our problems in this life than ever before in the history of mankind. I mean, are we not a messed up people or what? I mean, I know that because I looked in a mirror this morning. I mean, you'd find it hard to believe, but I did. I actually looked in a mirror this morning. And we are messed up people. We, we go all the time. We're in a hurry all the time. I, I have been doing this study with Jenny that she teaches at 930 with a group of about 25 ladies. And uh, guys, I burnt my man card completely and I'm doing this study with my wife. And let me tell you something. Is some of the greatest stuff I've ever heard or learned in my life with this one concept. Are you ready for this? Hurry is a destroyer of your soul. Hurry wants to rob you of your joy. Not one time do we hear that our Heavenly Father was in a hurry. Not one time do we see Jesus blowing through town saying, we got to go. We never see that. 
mean, one of the greatest mistakes that we tend to make is to imagine that our increased social or even our increased church activity is some kind of compensation for having a meaningful, purposeful relationship and communion with a God who is our heavenly daddy. I mean, we, we're busy, aren't we? I mean, we do stuff at church. We, we do church stuff. But you know, I never read in the New Testament that we're supposed to do church stuff. I, I never read that our job is to be here every time the doors are open. I, I, I've never read that the busier you are, the bigger mansion you're going to get in heaven. I do know this, that he said, Shh, be still and know that I'm God. He, he's not the man upstairs. He's not, he's not some dude you got a picture of on the wall. He's, he's not a flag that you salute. He's God. God Almighty. God who, who literally spoke galaxies into being, batted an eyelash and a lightning bolt flashed, who breathed us into existence, who knew us before we were formed. He is God. I mean, the simple fact is we got to find time for prayer or we'll never, ever stop struggling. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul said. Jesus said, go and do likewise as he talked to the attorney about how we're to treat our neighbors. And I wonder if we were to measure our prayer life, how would that be an indicator of our imitation of Christ? I mean, listen to what Jesus says in John 15, chapter 15, verse 5. He says... You can do nothing without me. If another human looked at you at the face and said that you can do nothing without me, what would you do? I'll show you something. You want to know what nothing is? I'll bring you a little, I'll open up a whole can of nothing on you. Right? But God says, you you literally can't do anything apart from me. It doesn't matter who you think you are or what you think you can do. You can do nothing apart from me. And then he goes on and says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, some of you are going to go home this afternoon and turn on a TV preacher and he's going to preach the last part of that verse. That you, you, you can have anything you ask for. But listen to me. God is not a heavenly vending machine nor a heavenly Santa Claus. He is the thrice holy God of Israel, the creator and sustainer of all things. And he is our strong tower. He is God. Because he puts a condition on that and says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask. What he's saying, if you want to search for me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, with all your mind, now come and ask. But you know, I've, I've realized that in many ways we... We talk to God as if amen is the end button on our cell phone. Amen, click, I'm done, right? But you know, amen is a word of affirmation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. You know what amen Amen. Amen means? Yeah, God, I'm in agreement. Do this thing. Yeah, do it. But it's not, see you later, take care, bye-bye now. It's not, it's not the end button, but we treat it that way. And so what happens is we give God this, this unique time. Like if you filled out a prayer request card, 95% of you in your prayer request card, you put down, pray for somebody because they are, say it, sick. We'll pray for the sick. That's what we do, right? But, but, but at the end of the day, what about the rest of our life? It is the only reason we go to God is to pr- is pray for somebody who's sick. 
Oh, no, Chuck, we pray at our meals too. Oh, okay. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. My favorite one is this. Lord, bless the hands that prepared this food. How many of you ever said that? Yeah. Nothing wrong with it unless you're just hitting play on the next track. I mean, what if, what if you talk to your spouse or your kids or your friends or your boss the way you talk to God? Oh, Father, thou art great. Thank thou for this food. May it bless us and us to thy service. You don't talk to anybody that way. I, some, I think God looks at us sometimes when we break that out and goes, what is wrong with you? I made you better than this. Come on, what is wrong with you? Because you think amen is this thing. Affirm this. Let's talk a little more. Let's, let's have this meaningful, purposeful relationship. I mean, today I'd like to, in the spirit of our series, likewise, give you some practical and hopefully biblical answers that you can allow your conversations with the God of all creation to become a natural part of your daily life. You see, I don't think, I think here's the problem with, with, with prayer ministries at large in churches is that we treat it like it's a separate function of the Christian life. Well, today I'm going to do discipleship. I'm going to go deeper. Today I'm going to share Jesus. Tomorrow I'm going to pray. Whatever happened to that part about pray without ceasing? What happened to just having a conversation, an ongoing conversation with God? I left the house this morning. I walked out and I, uh, I, I actually watched the video that, Jen, you guys watched again this morning. I, I got up early about 530 this morning. And I watched the video you guys watched in your community group. And uh, I mean, I'm blubbering. Listen, this lady is so compelling. I'm blubbering watching. I'm so happy for everything, Lord, you know. And I walked out of the house and, and literally I see the sun through the pine trees and I feel a fall air on my skin and I'm getting a car that cranks and it had enough gas to get me to church. And, and, and on the way here, I'm, I'm listening to the playlist that we're going to sing today. And I'm just singing my guts out and people in the cars next to me are laughing at me. And it's just, I'm having the time of my life because all of a sudden I have this simple awareness that I get to walk into the presence of a holy daddy who says, you're here. You look just like me. Come on. Let's, this is going to be a great day. But some of us are missing out on the beauty of that prayer. You know why I think we do that is we believe better than we behave. Don't we? I mean, we, we believe in prayer. I mean, I, I, I know you do. You, you believe in prayer. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go pray for lunch today. We believe in prayer. We just don't behave like we breathe, believe in prayer. I mean, and we're all guilty of this. I mean, let me give you four things that I think quickly that keep our challenge in our prayer life. Number one, we don't think praying is a real relationship. I mean, seriously, what if we did talk to our spouse the way we talk to God? Can you imagine how boring that meal would be? I mean, seriously, I mean, have you ever been in a restaurant and you looked across the table at a couple sitting next to you and they never looked at each other, they never looked up for their plate and they never said a word? I mean, one word comes to mind, awkward, right? But I think that's how we, we go all day long. We don't talk to God. We go all day long. We don't commune with God. We go all day long. And our heavenly daddy's saying, you, I'm here. Every now and then, Jenny, if I, if I go like hours without communicating with her, she'll send me a text. You know where her sex is? Her, te- her sex is, that's funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> well, glory. <laughs> I hope we recorded the first hour instead of this one. I'll have a whole new speaking gig after that. <laughs> Sorry, babe. This makes this next statement even funnier if you think about it. She will text me and what her text says is, you. <laughs> if y'all will give me a minute, I'm gonna get back on track. You know, I don't really know what to do with that. Ron, help me out everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Let me, let me give you this thought as I try to move on. I believe God makes relational prayer a condition of his response to us. I mean, did you hear that? By the way, that's worth a tweet right there. I believe God makes relational prayer a condition of his response to us. You say, where do you get that? Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You see, what, what God is saying is, I'm not playing hide and seek with you, but if you, if you really want me, search with me your whole heart and you'll find me, I'm right there. You see, some of us don't have this ongoing relationship with God simply because our picture of God is not somebody who's walking with us and talking with us. You remember the old, old hymn called In the Garden? And he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. That's the picture. You're just having this conversation, ongoing conversation. God does this relational condition of us. You see, you make your communion with God a priority and that calls for several things. You ready? It calls for stillness and it calls for time and energy and focus. And if you don't give him those things, you'll never know him. Because you got to stop. Shh. Be still and know that I am God. Dad, I know you're going to say no, but that's not a relational conversation. Number two, we don't understand that prayer prepares us for battle. When the Bible talks about walking and living the Christian life, it talks a lot about things like fight and warfare and armor and weapons and swords and soldiers and so on. And over in Ephesians 6, he talks about this one major thing of protection needed to go to war and it's prayer. And he says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the power of the spirit of God. Get casual about this piece of armor to your own peril. What Paul says is, when you go out there, you're at war. And what are you at war with? You're, you're at war with a world that doesn't want you to live for Christ, doesn't want you to have this intimate walk with God, doesn't want you to have this ongoing relationship and conversation with God that wants to fill your calendar up and wants to fill your time up and wants to fill you up with angst and anxiety and fret and worry. And, and all God says is, wait a minute, I just want you to just... Stop for just a second. Breathe in my goodness. Recognize my presence. If you were to walk onto a physical battlefield, you'd prepare. Number three, I think we crowd out our prayer with busyness. 
I mean, over in Luke chapter 10, Jesus teaches us about the Martha syndrome. Jesus and his gang has shown up at, uh, at a home where Mary and Martha are at, and Martha decides we need a casserole. We need one of those casseroles that when you eat it, it drips off your chin and it's good. It's filled with a billion percent of fat and calories, and you know you're not supposed to eat it, but when you do, it's just comforting. And then Martha goes on and says, you know what we need with that? We need hot buttered rolls with honey butter. Mm. And Martha is busy making some lunch, man. And she notices, where is Mary? And she peeks out of the kitchen, and there is Mary sitting at the foot of Jesus. And you know what Martha says? Girl, get in here. What are you doing? What are you, we got stuff to do. Are you in wasting time with you? We got come, what are you, what is wrong with you? And about that time, Jesus answers her and he says in Luke chapter 10, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know what Jesus is saying? Martha, Martha, sweetie, being busy isn't finding me. Being in my presence is finding me. If you're going to go do good, do it because you've been in my presence. Don't do good thinking I'm going to join you in it. And so we look at that and you say, well, what's the takeaway for me, Chuck? I, I kind of like picking on Martha. You know, some of us, some of us are busy in the kitchen like Martha, spending our entire life at a ball field with our kids because we've taught our kids how to worship them and not worship the Lord. Some of us are busy on Thursday night and Saturday afternoon and Saturday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Monday night because they're at the gridiron of football. You say, Chuck, you have gone too far now. Some of us are so busy with social media, we can't even have a conversation with somebody without letting go of our iPhone. Some of us worship at the altar of business because we're working 100 hours and we come home and we tell our spouse, it's all for you, honey. Some of us are just Martha, aren't we? And Jesus says, but Mary picked the good portion. Shh, be still and know that I am God. I'm convinced a life lived in a constant state of hurry means that we gather impressions, but we have no experiences. That we collect acquaintances, but we have no friends. That we attend meetings, but we experience no encounter. Psalm 46.10, again, shh, be still and know that I'm God. Number four, I, I think we're pretty sure we've got this. I mean, you, you go to one of Samantha's volleyball games and you hear all those little JV girls, you know, in volleyball. You know what they say when they miss a point? Don't worry about it. You got this, girl. Oops. Okay, let's try that again. You got this. Oops. You know, we're pretty sure we've got this life, don't we? Aren't we pretty sure we just got this under control? I mean, this is the root that underlies every other reason why we believe better than we behave. I believe the evidence of arrogance in our lives is equal to the level of our prayerlessness. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The level of arrogance in our lives is equal to the level of our prayerlessness. Because you see, if our prayer life is an indication of how much we recognize we need God, some of us are in deep trouble because we don't know how bad we're in a mess. 
Listen to what James 4, 1 and 2 says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I mean, don't miss this. We don't have because we don't ask. Let that sentence run through our life and speak truth deep into the capillaries and deep into the arteries that pump that life-giving blood through our life. Hear that truth. We don't have because our behavior doesn't equal our belief and we don't ask believing he will. You see, we don't have a failure in our life that's not a prayer failure. We, we don't have a genuine need in our life, but that, that need cannot usher us into the realization of the glory of God through passionate, believing prayer. Prayer We don't have because we do not ask. I mean, God's eager and ready and willing to bless us. He, God is not some heavenly miser who is stingy with his goodness, letting go of a few crumbs of grace to starving kids only when they beg adequately enough. He is our heavenly daddy who loves to lavish us with his gifts of goodness and grace and love. And he wants to wrap you up and say, I want you to have my best. And all you got to do is seek after me with your whole heart. You know what happens in our hearts and our homes and in our churches when we depend on us and not him? There's fighting and scheming and planning and hating and killing and conniving and striving and trying in our own way to get the things we think we need. Meanwhile, God, our heavenly daddy, waits for us to ask him. There's a couple who lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and they traveled to Florida and they visited friends and family and they were from Florida. And in the backyard of their home in Memphis, they had planted an orange tree. You know, orange trees don't do that well in Memphis, but it reminded them of home. So they planted an orange tree and sure enough, they grew some oranges, but they were sour. They were kind of bad and they were tiny. They weren't really good. So when they went to Florida and they showed up at their family and friends home, everybody gave them big baskets full of ripe, beautiful, wonderful Florida oranges. And when they got back to Memphis, they had more oranges that they could eat. And so there's only so many ways you can make ambrosia and there's so many oranges you can eat for breakfast. And so they started giving away to anybody and everybody they could. And one day they're sitting at dinner and they look outside and the kid next door has gone into their yard, picked an orange off of their tree. Well, they were mildly indignant. The kids over picking stuff off our tree. So the man goes out, he says, hey kid, get in here. The kid thinks, I am so stinking busted. So he brings that tiny little orange and he walks in the house and he says, mister, can I, can I just have one of these oranges from your tree? And the guy says, son, listen, if you'll come in here, I'll load you down with more oranges than you can carry. I got the best oranges you'll ever eat right here. And they're going to spoil waiting on somebody to enjoy them. I believe our heavenly father is tired of us trying to pick oranges that aren't the best. And there's, he's just waiting on us to come into his presence. We sang earlier, Hector was singing with us about the veil was torn. And I want you to get this picture that literally we get to walk into the holy of holies. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a church. 
You don't need a flag. You don't need a special day. You don't need another human being. You don't need special water to walk literally into the presence of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, and immediately, awesomely, wondrously have a chat with him. Now think about that. Now think about that. While we're picking tiny oranges, he wants to fill us with bushels of his best. So here's three reasons I think we should pray. Number one, we're called to pray. I mean, the Bible makes it super clear. I mean, the Old Testament, we see plenty of examples of men and women who prayed fervently. The Psalms filled with an entire collection of prayers. The New Testament teaches us the holy habit of prayer among Christians, especially Jesus. And since prayer is this characteristic of these biblical heroes, it serves as kind of the gold standard for us too. But beyond these examples, we have the explicit commands given to us in Scripture by God and the living example of Jesus. So Paul urges us in Romans 12, 12 to be diligent in our prayer lives. For example, here's what he says. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, he says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer, you see, is also a privilege. Being able to talk to God is a privilege. The call to prayer is balanced by it being a privilege as well. Paul speaks of the fruits and the consequences of our walk with Jesus. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, here's what he says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained, you ready? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now watch this. So in the Old Testament, once a year, the priest could go into that veil, this heavy veil, and he could go into the Holy Holies once a year and he could make those petitions. And then Jesus came and said, wait a minute, there's a better way here. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to shed my blood for your sins, forgiveness of your sins. And then they're going to bury me. And then I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And then I'm going to go to heaven and sit by the right hand of the father. And everybody who says, Lord, I need you come forgive me of my sins. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to give them life more abundantly here and life eternally there. And they're going to have direct access to me. Do you understand what a privilege that is? Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, died, gave his life for us, rose from the dead for me and you, went to sit by the right hand of the Father, and he says, you can come right to us. You don't need a middleman. You don't need a church. You know what you need? You need a heart that is passionately in love with God, period. So through the death of Jesus, we're now given a new, freer kind of access to God. You see, the goal of our relationship with Jesus isn't to become robots or lose our individual personality. It's that we might have a real intimate walk in relationship with God in an ongoing fashion. Number three, prayer is God's grace. I mean, prayer, real communion with God is a powerful means of grace. I mean, here's a foundational question. You ready? Do you believe prayer changes things? I mean, that's a foundational question because if we really believed like we knew prayer changed things, we'd pray differently, wouldn't we? I mean, wouldn't we? If we really believed prayer changed things, we'd, we'd pray differently. We would pray. 
I mean, we, we wouldn't break out just kind of that, you know, God is great prayer. We'd pray. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. James chapter 5 tells us if you're suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen, the power of prayer is a way that God uses to bring about his intended ends. But I want you to get this and hear this. God is not a heavenly Santa Claus and he's not a heavenly vending machine. Our prayers don't force God to do anything. So if you go to family Christian stores, you go to Lifeway or you go to Barnes and Noble or wherever you go, if you read somebody who says, this is the key to unlock the heart of God, that guy is so full of it. Listen to me. You know how you unlock the heart of God? You let God have his way and you have a passionate heart for God. There is, there is no combination here apart from what he says to us. Seek me with all your heart and guess what? You'll find me. So I want to ask you to do something. Inside your, um, inside your bulletin, there's an index card. Will you pull that index card out? Just go ahead and tear it out. Talk off the staple. Grab a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, whatever you got. You know, when I was a kid, I bet you did this too. You played this game. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? First kid, you know what he said? I'd wish for another wish. You know, the second kid said, I'd wish for infinity wishes. How do you top that, right? I think sometimes we treat God like a genie in a bottle. I don't know what else to do, God, so I guess we can pray. I've been guilty of saying this. I bet you have too. Well, there's nothing else we can do, but I guess we can pray. What? You get to go directly to the access of the one who can heal and the one who can save and the one who can, who can provide and the God who can sustain and the God who loves and the God that can heal a broken heart. And that's all we can do. That's what we are to do. So I want you to take this piece of paper and I want you to do what I did. I want you to write... If over the next seven days, if you really could ask and trust God for one thing, what would it be? I mean, really, if you really believe God would hear your prayer, you really believe God would want to grant that prayer, you really want to seek after God with your whole heart, what would it be? Go ahead, you write it down. Go ahead, write it down. What, what's the one thing? Go ahead, write it down. And when you do, I want you to fold it. Hector's going to lead us as we sing about having reasons to bring him praise. And if you're in the front half of this room, I'm going to ask you to bring that folded card that's got that one thing. And I'm going to ask you to drop it at this altar in front. If you're in the second half, the back half, I'm going to go where we move those chairs back there and let that become your altar. And I'm going to ask you to lay this on those, on, on that wood or on this wood. And here's what I'm going to ask you to you drop by. I'm going to ask you to drop this or lay it down. And here's your prayer. God, I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe you can do this. Would you do this this week? And then I want you to just leave it. Just leave it. Have you got it done? As we worship, you bring those cards.
Luke chapter 11, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, here's a key word, you ready? Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. You understand the holy picture that's painted there? Father, I come into your presence and you put your hands on my cheek. You look into my eyes as my heavenly daddy and you say, you look just like me. Oh, I love you so, Father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Meaning, God, you're, you're beyond my human capacity to tell you how great you are. You're beyond awesome. You're, I can't even describe your goodness. God, your kingdom come, not mine, yours. Give us this day our bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and don't lead us into temptation. Lord's Prayer is a model. It gives us this actual prayer to pray, but it's a pattern to follow. It gives us this pattern of acts, A-C-T-S. Number one, adoration. God, I love you. I adore you. You are holy. I am not. You are, you are what allows me to do anything. The only thing good within me is you. Adoration. And C is confession. I don't just adore God. I confess, God, I, I'm worthless without you. God, reach down deep and search my heart. Know me, oh God. Dig down in the crevices of the the folds of my heart and find in the middle of there my sin and reveal it to me so that I might confess it before you, that I might be clean before you. Adoration, confession, tea, thanks. Everywhere I look, God, I'm grateful. I'm so good. I read Jenny's journal this past week from her community group, 20 things that you're grateful for, you're thankful for. I read through those 20 things and I thought to myself, oh God, you're so good. You're so good. And then S, support, supplication, pray for others. God, this isn't always about me. I want to pray for others. God, I want to be before you. I want, I want to crawl up to you and say, would do a work in my buddy Frankie's heart today. Do, do a great work in my friend today. God, heal my friend today. God, touch my friend today. God, do a work in our church today. God, don't cause us to just play around and show up for all the other man-made expectations. But God, would you just fall on this place and do something special? Acts. So now I'm going to ask you to do something that's even weirder. Hector's going to sing one more time, one last song. Now I'm going to ask you to go either to that back altar or this front altar and grab one of these. And this week, claim that prayer for that person. You say, well, Chuck, I believe in the prayer of... Are you ready for this? I believe in specificity. Which usually means you believe in gossip. You think God doesn't know who wrote that on that card? 
Do you think God doesn't know that deepest, darkest need in that person's life? Mine? Because you see, he's not bound to your knowledge. He is bound to his glory. He is not bound to our wishes. He is bound to his will. And we today have the opportunity not just to pray for our greatest desire, but now to pray for someone else's. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Father, I pray as we take these cards in a minute, we put them in some place that we see them all week long, that you supernaturally would put that word or that sentence or that need in front of us every moment of every day, that in our ongoing conversation with you, we would never cease to pray. And we would not only bring our petition, we would not only tell you how great you are, we would not only thank you for who you are, we would bring this prayer of someone before you. And God, this week, we're gonna pray and believe and trust that you are still in the miracle working business and that you will do what only you can do. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Lord, I need you.